I'm sorry, that went out for me, but that might be my uh, Wi-Fi. Chairman and Finance Committee members, this meeting is being held pursuant to Government Code Section 54953E, and in light of the declared state of emergency, a special meeting of the Finance Committee for January 24, 2021, will be conducted telephonically through Zoom and broadcast live on the city's website. Great. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Uh, welcome, everybody, to City of Sausalito Special Finance Committee of January 24th, 2022. Um, I'm going ahead and call to order. Uh, there's just two of us on the committee. So uh, I am here and Councilmember Sobieski, confirm you're here. There was a wave, so Councilmember Sobieski is here as well. Okay, uh, we'll just start with item B, which is public comment on items not on the agenda. Uh, and maybe the clerk can uh, tell everybody how they can raise their hand if they wish to make a comment. And the clerk is on mute, there we go. Video or audio public comment participation is limited to three minutes per speaker. Like to make a comment, please raise your hand in the Zoom application and you will be called upon when it's your time to speak. To raise your hand from a phone, press nine. Each speaker will be notified when the time has elapsed. Great, thank you so much. Do we have any hands raised for public comment on items not on the agenda? I don't see any. I'll wait verbal confirmation from the clerk. You're correct, Mayor. I don't see any hands raised. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, item C is approval of minutes. We don't have any minutes to approve. Um, item D is old business. Uh, we don't have any items listed under old business either. So we will move on to item E, new business. Uh, so the first one is item E1, which is the 2020-2021 audit update with Chad Hess from Ide Bailey. Um, and as we normally do, the process will be able to take a presentation. Uh, we'll have questions for the presenter. We'll open up to public comment, and then we will discuss and provide direction. So, Chad, we will hand over to you, and welcome. All right, awesome. Thank you guys for the opportunity to present. Um, so I'll discuss real quick our audit update. Um, as a quick reminder, the audit is a required process um, by California Municipal Code. Um, the city is required to do an annual audit by an independent outside third-party auditor. Um, the audit report is in conformance with generally accepted governmental accounting standards, um, GAP, if you will, which is set forth by um, the Governmental Accounting Standards Board or GASB. Um, so our outside auditor, Mays and Associates, is substantially complete with the audit. Um, we were ready to release the report about 10 days ago, and we had a legal letter that held us up. We got a response from one of the city's attorneys saying they don't have any asserted claims, but others might. So there was another audit or another account or legal firm, I'm sorry, another legal firm that the city engaged with that may have um, asserted claims that may need to be disclosed or accrued. So we've sent a second letter out to that, that law firm and we're waiting the response. Um, we did send a follow-up letter uh, this week or a follow-up email and they said they've received it and they will respond um, early this week. So we're hoping to get that today, tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, 
with that being said, we've reviewed the report. Um, everything is ready to go. We just need to get a response back from that law firm saying that they're okay or they have asserted claims that we may need to approve for. Um, so we hope to release or hope to publish uh, this week and date that audit report. So that is the status where we're at on the fiscal year 21 audit. Um, there are a couple other things that I did include in the memo to uh, finance committee. Um, Catherine, you and the audit partner from Mays reached out and asked if we were interested in doing um, a one-year extension on our existing contract. Uh, the city was engaged with them for a three-year agreement for fiscal years 19 through 21 and they are in the process of planning out their fall schedule um, for staffing and, and other items. So they're curious if the city would like to stay with them for one more year or go out for a request for proposal on the open market um, and solicit bids and possibly change auditors depending upon where the pricing falls. Um, you know, with the city having a new finance director, I know being a former auditor, it's a lot of work to change audit firms. Um, and just with, with Vivian being new, my thought would be it would be a really, it would be more convenient for her just to, to continue on with Mays for one more year and then maybe go out for RFP after that to enable her to really get a solid understanding of all of the city's um, accounting practices, controls, et cetera, and go out for, for a proposal after that. Um, at the time of this email, when it was published, we didn't have pricing. I did get a response back from the auditor, um, and they say that their pricing would be tied to the consumer price index, which as of when she pulled the data was about a 3.6% increase. So that would give you just kind of an idea of where pricing would be, um, which I think is a fair way to do it looking at the CPI. Um, that being said, it is up to the city how they want to proceed. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out there that they're asking if we want to extend, yes or no. And then if we do, um, they can slot us in and we can get an engagement letter going. If not, we'll let them know and then we'll have to plan accordingly. Um, some of the other items that we are working on now that the audit work is, is tied up presented to the auditors and they've, they've tested all of their items. We are reworking some of our, our audit work papers to make, them, to make them better, to make them easier to understand, to increase the documentation around those items. Um, and the goal is to, to build a better tool, build better documentation, and then we're gonna train the city staff um, on how to use them and how to prepare um, for next year's audit, the fiscal year 22 audit, with the goal of, of the in-house staff being self-sufficient, being trained and capable and ready to prepare for that next year's audit. Um, so that is an ongoing thing that we're, we're working through now um, as, we, as we move into you know, the next season, budget season, if you will, um, of the city. So those were the three key points that I wanted to share with you regarding the audit and we'll open it up to questions. Great, thank you, Chad. Uh, let's start with Councilmember Sobieski. Question. Yeah, Chad, um, what's the goal? Has the staff gotten around a goal for the next audit? We understand that you know, the audit that's going on now is gonna show some deficiencies uh, and is reflective of the, the previous uh, 
set of the previous chessboard on the on how the finance department was set up and the work it was doing. Um, but for the next for the next fiscal year, uh, yep. is the ambition is the marker that we're going to get a clean audit that has no deficiencies? Is that the goal of the organization? Yes. So there there are there are two letters or two reports, if you will. The the first letter is the independent auditor's report over financial accounting, and that is do the books conform with GAAP with generally accepted accounting principles. We have a clean audit report in that regard, the financials form. Our memorandum of internal controls, also known as like the yellow book letter, the yellow book letter being governmental audit standards, does have a material weakness for the areas that, are, that have been outlined in the, in the memorandum of internal controls. The, the goal is to get that cleaned up and we've put systems and controls in place since you know seven one when we came on, we are we have, we've implemented better tracking for journal entries. We have a, a form that that staff fill out. We document who prepared, who committed, who approved it, and we're storing that information in the accounting system. We can attach digital items to our software, which will make it much easier to to, to pull that information next year. And that was one of the big challenges was. A, things weren't getting reviewed in time. We're being very timely in that. The documentation of who prepared, reviewed, and committed was, was paper-based. And at times, it wasn't easily accessible or it wasn't stored securely, and we couldn't find it. That being said, our goal is to get that clean report, to get a clean yellow book letter where there are no material weaknesses over the financial reporting. Okay. So, and has those, have those process changes already been implemented? Yes, yes. We've we've been we've been much better on reconciling our bank accounts, on reviewing and committing journal entries in a much timely manner. Um, we've made changes to the permissions within our accounting software um, to segregate the duties um, and not allow certain people to have overlap on. You know, let's 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 talk accounts payable. So, under the old under the old method, the individual who's in charge of AP could go in and add new vendors, make changes to vendors. We've restricted that. We've taken that away from the the AP clerk, and it now resides with someone outside of that cycle. Um, that was one of the things that was in the memorandum of internal controls, and we've taken timely action. We've gone in and changed their permissions. We are going through permissions in more granular detail. We fixed the things that the audit firm has, has identified and requested change, but we want to go through and make sure that there aren't other areas that we couldn't tighten up and put in better controls for the city. So Chad, on that point, have, um, do you have an ongoing relationship with the auditor to check whether your changes in internal processes actually meet muster with their um, standards? Um, we've had discussions with, with their manager regarding, you know, what changes we've had and they have been supportive of it. Um, I mean, we could engage with them to come in and do like maybe a mid-year review where they would come in and look for evidence of those changes. Um, but it's not something that's been formalized. It's just been through kind of ongoing discussions you know, hey, this is an area you, you, you deem deficient. Does this seem to, to meet your level of, of expectance? And sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've offered some comments or feedback, but it's not a formalized arrangement. 
So that is my question, you know, that, you know, auditors work by testing and they don't really say anything until they do a test oh, yeah. and you need a pass. So uh, has some consideration been given to do a mini mid-year review, not anything like an audit uh, that's comprehensive, but just a couple tests, maybe just focused on your process changes to ensure yeah. that the changes meet the thresholds that they would um, establish a test for. Yeah, yeah, I, it hasn't, but I think that's a really great observation that we could do what would be deemed as like an agreed upon procedure where here's what we want you to look at. They would design a procedure around it, go test it, and then give us the results. And I think that would be a, a, a great way to determine, yes, we're on track, or okay, you've done ABC, but maybe D popped up in their new test or it didn't quite rise to the level um, of what they would like to see. So that would be certainly something we could engage with them to to do. Does that, does that require, um, is that just a, an internal decision? Or does that require any kind of city council action? Or is that just a, a call between you and Chris? Um, you know, it would probably be something that we'd want to talk with Catherine Ewan on. I wouldn't suspect it would be too expensive, just just from my, my expectation of what our firm would do. Um, I think it would be fairly reasonable. So it would probably be within Chris or Vivian signing authority. It should be. Thanks. Great, wonderful questions. Thank you, Councilor Sobieski. And I will fully support and endorse having that mid-year review and testing the controls put in place, Chad. Um, yep. Chad, I know that you're asking us to uh, sign off on allowing Ide Valley to continue to be the auditor no, 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 we're not the auditor. Mays, Mays, pardon Mays. me, Mays. Yep. Yeah. Um, you, you have not, let's say you're fairly new to, to this project, right? I mean, Ide Bailey's been with us for a while, but you personally are fairly new, right? That is, that is correct. Ide Bailey, in, in some form or fashion, they were VTD prior to Ide Bailey acquiring them, has been associated with the city of Sausalito for, I believe, four years. I came on board March and started on special projects uh, July 1st with the level of involvement on currently act. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I think you, you brought a fresh look at a lot of these uh, you know, issues, which I've really appreciated. And so we've been able to dig in in some new ways and with, um, with more robustness. So that's, I, I, so when I evaluate your recommendation, I take that into account as well in terms of um, the meaningfulness of it. But one thing I wanted to follow up on, um, and we've talked about this before, is the third section of your, of your outline in terms of uh, process improvement. So we've talked about uh, some better reporting and more, um, I guess, accessible for a layperson type reporting. And I had given you some feedback before, and uh, I was wondering if it would be easy for you to uh, consolidate some of that feedback. Um, we had looked a little bit at some of the funds um, just yep. to be able to understand. And, and I wanted to, so that's the first question. Then I have two more sort of suggestions. Um, Yes, you know, I, I know a lot of it was around the like the treasurer's report and that historical view and adding some additional um, kind of forecasts or forward looking areas. Um, I haven't made much progress on that. It, it, a lot of my time has been working through the audit and then ramping up and, and, and getting Vivian kind of acclimated to the city. Um, we've also gone through a software conversion upgraded to the cloud version of our, our current um, software, as well as bringing payroll back in house. Um, as we as we kind of transition out of audit and into you know budget preparation, I think there's going to be really good movement on on that endeavor. 
Um, one of the one of the new features of the the online version is it integrates with Tableau, which is a, a data visualization software. You, you seem to be familiar, which I think will expedite some of our our capabilities in reporting. Because right now, on our old version, our on-premise version, we had to kind of extract the data and look for for various reports, and then bring it into Excel to, to work through it. I believe, and what I've seen is Tableau has direct access, direct connection to the tables, and we can start to build better reporting around that. So unfortunately, I don't have, hey, I've been able to implement all of those recommendations, and I, I truly wish I had the capacity to, to do more for you. Um, but I, I see very, very promising things in the future with Tableau, and you know, once we get our, our the city staff fully trained, I think that will open up some capacity to, to really push forward to meet your needs. I, I know you've got, you guys want access to better data. You know, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's out on OpenGov, but it's not, it's not in a, a, a yeah. presentation that's extremely accessible. And are, are we still using Springbrook? And if we so, are. Have, we, have we updated to the latest cloud version? We have, yes. So we are still on Springbrook. We were on Springbrook, um, it was like 7.09. And now we're up to Springbrook uh, 7. Point, I think it's 7.18, which is cloud-based. Um, and it's, yeah, we're on 7.18.7 7 is our newest version, our current version. The software is hosted on Springbrook server. It's in the cloud. They yep. manage updates. And they do updates, small updates, basically every week. They fix something or change something. So it's continuously updated. Every Monday I log in and I have to download like the newest version um, of the software. So it's continuously updated and they maintain it on a go forward basis. Um, it is still a, a desktop app. It's not a true browser based system yet, but they are developing their newest platform, Springbrook Cirrus, which is a true browser based cloud solution. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it's, it's exciting to see where they're going with it. And yes, to answer your question, we are fully, fully current. Okay, that's great to know. So Springbrook, latest cloud version, Tableau, uh, yes. also cloud, easy yeah. to update. Okay, so the, Chad, the reason that <clears throat> I've asked for all those reports changes in the past, and I have one more to suggest for you today, is because when we when I first joined the finance committee, um, it, was, it was a real deep dive to be able to track um, some of the issues that you know, the auditor later um, confirmed were in the report. So uh, we want to just make that super easy and facilitate that if something's not reconciled, if a, a fund isn't updated. So I'll just add one more, which is in the past, our reporting has been very flexible. Some reports group accounts one way, some reports another way, and it's very difficult to compare them. And so one idea I had was that yeah, we, if we started with a, a budget forecast, um, each line item could have an actual and then a variance. And in that way, we could actually see what was happening. And we wouldn't have to chase down five different documents in order to make that happen. So again, that's why I've been pushing for more transparent reporting so that we can more easily, as a council, identify potential concerns. Um, and I just want to add that uh, as an additional suggestion. Oh, so line by line, instead of the, the grouped detail is really what you would like? Yes, for, for me, yeah. And I see yeah, Councilor Sophia yeah. reporting. Yeah. Do you want it for all funds, just the general fund? What would be your... All funds. All funds. 
and yeah. and Chad, as a follow up, um, I know you you have an internal draft of, of a fund chart. Let's make sure uh, Council Member Sobieski uh, is able to see that and up to speed on that. Yeah, yep. So I can provide the kind of the fund dimension and then the department dimension. I've got kind of a crosswalk tool that I can I can provide him. Yep. Um, so that 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 request, you know, I think is a, is really a standard report out of out of Springbrook. I mean, that's yeah. that's the basis of um, what we build all of our other reports on. So that would be a very easy. I mean, it's it's going to be very lengthy and very very cumbersome, but it gives you all of the detail that you can dive into and line by line see see where things are at. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll just say from a use case perspective, in addition to really being able to review at a glance. Um, you know, we've been receiving reports from each department, you know, this could actually be something that happens for every department manager so that people can be held accountable to the actual accounting versus the budget and the forecast. It'll make it much easier for us moving forward. Is, is the, I mean, the goal would be ultimately to have a self-service solution where somebody can log in and pull different reports, or do you want it scheduled where it's, it's distributed via email, you know, on a, on a regular cadence? Yeah, in a, in a perfect world, you know, we would oh. all know enough to be able to self-serve, but let's okay. just avoid uh, confusion and say that if you get emailed to us, that would probably be better. What what type of, of cadence would you like? Would you like weekly, every two weeks, every month? What would be what would be useful? And maybe maybe the answer to you is different than the department heads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's quarterly, yeah. No, go ahead, yeah. Oh, I, I lean towards quarterly. Um, that's normally when we get our budget updates. But Ian, if you have another perspective, please. I was just going to ask Chad um, what the cadence of the budget is and what would be a useful marker to measure that off of. Um, some departments probably have very continuous spending, and others might have spending that's more clumpy. And, yeah. And, um, and where quarterly numbers could actually throw you off. So that's, of course, the trade off between the frequency of looking at something. Um, you want to do it frequently enough that it's useful and meaning, but also that it's meaningful. Um, so is quarterly, where is quarterly fit into that balance versus semi-annually versus annually? Yeah, so on the ex on the expenditure side, there's there's a natural cadence or rhythm. So like your, your payroll and your supply should be fairly straightforward or fairly even. Um, your capital projects, those are typically excluded or put into that capital project fund. Those, I think we could build some reporting around budgets by project instead of more budget by fund. Um, I know later up, Measure F was one of the areas that Vivian and I were working through, and it was really hard to determine, okay, what's, what's on Kevin's list as, as revenue sources versus what's on our list as revenue sources. And I think there's opportunity to improve how we track those using the project management feature within Springbrook. And I think that would be a whole separate reporting framework. But to answer your question, the expenditures would work really well for, for quarterly, monthly, quarterly. The revenues are tricky because we get two large property tax settlements, and that's a huge portion of your revenues. So those come in typically like December and May, December and June typically, and that, that's going to throw off your reporting on the revenue side just because of the, the natural ebbs and flows. You get large property tax payment, you spend it down, you get another one, you spend it down. Um, is I, it plausible and illuminating to simply amortize what is a pretty predictable property tax bill, at least to a reasonable we amount could, of we, 
we could come up with something. I mean, it's, it's fairly predictable. Uh, there's not a huge delinquency balance in Sausalito. So it, usually what gets levied is what gets collected or pretty darn close to. So it sounds like quarterly would be, would be a decent balance. We, yeah, we could, we could, we could make an adjustment and disclose, you know, this percentage is like an accrued property tax just to kind of normalize things and we could just put a little asterisk or a little footnote disclosure that says this is the balance you know it's not receded it's not cash in hand but to enable kind of where are we at how are we trending i think that would be a reasonable request great great question yeah Chad, i agree i mean the macroeconomic trends impacting the um price of houses is you know well beyond our control but helpful for us and maybe forecasting some of the reserves we might need moving forward yep. so yep. Um, yep. This is City manager, have any comments or questions on this topic before we take public comment? Yes, uh, on the idea of the um, auditor, I want to make sure that uh, it's clear that we need to change at some point in time. It's a good practice to change your consultants from time to time. Uh, the question is with the new finance staff and um, uh, a new auditor, if that were to be the, the choice the council made, uh, that's uh, a brand new set of uh, needs. Uh, so when Chad mentioned that a one-year option is something that he believes is wise, I, I concur. Uh, you know, and I want to make sure that it's clear to the public. You know, if we have bad audits, it's not the auditor; it's what the staff is doing. And if we've had transition in this city, that's not the auditor's problem. That's what the city has to fix. And so going forward uh, with, you know, the new model that we've set up, uh, when we shifted uh, horses in midstream to get away from the virtual gov contract because of its cost, um, you know, I think a conscious decision was made is we're going to bring someone new on. And I believe it would be important for that new person who is Vivian and our team of Joan and Steve, along with Elena and Heather, to have some continuity. And in that continuity, uh, if you change auditors, uh, you got to meet new faces, new people, and you got to acclimate them to what Amaze already knows. So, you know, I would concur that we need to um, look at the auditor in that function uh, in the coming cycle. But this is uh, probably the prudent thing to do is to engage them for one more year and then go out. Uh, that's what I'd like to add to this presentation. Thank you very much for that. Um, okay, why don't we uh, open up the public comment? Um, so, if anybody from the public would like to, I see one hand. Um, City Clerk, will you please uh, call and activate <clears throat> Senator Bushmaker? Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, I have a couple points that I want to make on this subject. Uh, one is I am very pleased to see the aggressive uh, action being taken by the by the management and by the council to clean up our mess that we had uh, and i'll just say it frankly i mean it was the mess and we it was not uh shall we say conducive to confidence in the city finance and we need to have that uh secondly uh the uh i would like to see a format developed that is user friendly for people like me and other members of the public if we have a question we can go into it and be able to get an answer without, as Janelle puts, a deep dive uh, in looking at five and six documents that, that are being you know, uh, transferred from one site to another site to another site. Uh, so that would be very helpful for the public. 
And, and a good example of that is how much have we spent on measure F? <laughs> a simple question like that, we should be able to get the answer uh, quickly and easily. And how much more is to, to be spent uh, projected? Um, and this, this, part of, this part of my comment may not be exactly on point, but I think it could be and probably will be in the future. And that is, how is the city financially preparing for the impact of our uh, housing element on the city services uh, and city streets, police and fire, uh, other city services that are going to be uh, uh, impacted with the additional number of units in this town. I know you can't answer it right now, but I think it's something that needs to get on the radar. And I'd like to see some discussion now before we're caught with the proverbial, um, uh, I was gonna say pants down, but that's probably not, not correct <laughs> these days. But nevertheless, I, I don't wanna see us in that position uh, downstream when we have these huge impacts. All right, that's it for now. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Okay, anybody else wish to speak to this item? All right, I'm not seeing any other hands. So we'll close up a comment, come back up here. Um, I think really you're looking for direction, Chad, um, and city manager on retaining and the one-year option for Mays and Associates, is that right? Yes. Councilor okay. um, Sebeski, do you want to weigh in? Well, you know, I just underlined Sandra Bushmaker's second point about making, yeah developing things that are easy to access. Um, it's a point I'm gonna make on the bond discussion as well. And um, you know, I, I know that accountants struggle to make things easy to access and then produce something that they regard as very easy to access, but that's still very impenetrable to um, just someone looking at it for the first time or even lay people. So um, in terms of the, so yes, I agree, but it, I would love to add to the engagement really a goal, a policy goal of trying to produce documents and um, or synthesize information in a way that really makes it readily accessible to everyone uh, and to you know, add that to the scope of work to the extent that we possibly can it's a qualitative goal but i volunteered to test that goal by being able to um, see if i can figure it out uh, and i think it's an easy goal to meet if, um, if people who care who bother showing up to this meeting can't understand it then we failed failed in our goal and we should continue to iterate on that until it's done. But I, I think that's a as important as getting everything else in order financially or dollars and cents matter. I think this is an important qualitative goal that we, we, we really should strive for. Chad, did you want to respond to that? Or? Yeah, yes. Are, are there other communities that you're aware of that have done what you're looking for attainable or do you have other examples that I could that you could share with me like if there's a community abc that does really does this really well i would love to see what what their website looks like what software tools they use um yeah i think it's a, i think it's a great goal i think we really need to work towards that but if if there's examples out there i would love to see them and learn from what they're doing so yeah i think that's a sensible place to look is about other communities and we can try here. to get you're obviously in the position of being able to look at that work product yourself across different areas. Um, I can't imagine we're the only ones that struggle with this issue. So I'm sure other people do it better. The, the short answer is no, I haven't looked at the reporting of Palo Alto or Corte Madera. Um, we probably should and see if there's anything there that we like. Um, so however we cut, however we uh, 
cut the mustard here. I would love to, if we could, try to agree on the goal. Yeah. We make a document that's readily comprehensible by everyone. So and that um, would include I, a pedag pedagogical. It should always include a pedagogical section, as we'll have to do in the bond thing, which is really before you get to the meat of what's about Sausalito, here's a way to be able to interpret the thing we're about to show you. Here are the definition of terms. Here's basically how it all works. Here's the trade-off between risk and reward. Here's yeah. what uncertainty means. Here's what certainty means. Uh, so the pedagogical element, and that has to be attached to it. Otherwise, people will go elsewhere to try to learn. And then, of course, there are always definitional changes that are different. There's presentation formatting things that are different. So having a pedagogical document that's attached to our formatting and our reporting, but it's directly linked in the pedagogical section, once you digest it, it will set you up to understand the, um, the material report. And I would suggest that that might be a format for all our public-facing critical documents, whether it's the audit or the, the bond um, discussion about whether we refinance our pension obligation bonds. A pension with, uh, with, um, with obligation bonds would be a, a way of structuring this so that we can all understand it uh, uh, and the public has visibility to it as well. Thank, thank you, Councilor Sobieski. Um, Chad, I'll, I'll, I'll just um, direct you to Tiburon and San Mateo. Um, and last time I looked at Healdsburg, uh, I'll do very different jobs, but um, are some good examples of how we might want to uh, administer this. And to, to Ian's point about, you know, the folks on this call, I mean, I'm pretty sure we could put together a focus group of 10 people, assign them three inquiries and see where we get held up. And I'm sure I would be one of them as well. And I have played with virtual gov. A lot of it's just consistency, how we name things, um, you know, and what, what can expand, what can't expand and how you access it. Uh, I'll just tell you anecdotally, um, there's somebody in town who actually worked on the development of this software, who also had trouble finding things uh, in the software. So that's not, I don't know, maybe it's a usability problem in the software, but nonetheless, um, let's, let's consider uh, some ideas for how we can you know, tackle that. Um, to your question about Mays and Associates, uh, having worked with Mays, having understood the, the work that they did on the, on the audit prior to my time and, and uh, now, um, for, I'm, I am supportive of a one-year term. Um, part of that has to do, Chad, with your engagement here and, and your newness to this, which is a pair of fresh eyes. And then uh, part of this too, as well with Vivian um, here to be able to help monitor the, the changes. But I will note that normally we would try to um, rotate our, our uh, auditors and I do recognize those best practices, but I am comfortable with an additional one year. Okay, that, and, is, that is perfect. Let me just make sure that Ian feels that way as well. I feel that way as well. Thank you, Mary. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chad. I really appreciate it. Good to see you. Likewise. Okay, so then we'll move on to uh, our next item on the agenda. This is the pension and pension refinancing presentation from Chris Zapata, our city manager. Uh, thank you, Mayor Kelman and Councilman Sobieski and members of the public. Uh, I will try to be brief on this, but uh, I will go back to October 30th when the city council had their uh, prioritization session and we provided information to um, the council and the community regarding our pension environment. Uh, I, I want to go back to 2004 when I arrived in California from Arizona in National City and two years prior the city had adopted an enhanced benefit plan which meant that uh, public safety employees who had been getting 2% at 50 
which means every year of service counts 2%. At 50 years of age, if you have 20 years of service, then that's 40% of your high year in California. So if you were making $100,000 as a police officer and you're retiring under the 2% scenario, uh, two times 20 is 40, 40% of 100,000, your pension for life is $40,000 a year. Uh, the same thing with uh, other employees, it was 2% at 60. So when the enhanced benefit program came about uh, that National City adopted, they went from 3% at 50 to 3% at 60. And, and my question was, what's the background to all of that? And so I was educated on California's environment in early 2000, which was everything was doing pretty well. And so the people that had the retirement program responsibility, a group by the name of CalPERS, uh, who manages cities uh, for the most part's retirements, uh, came up with the term superfunded. And what superfunded meant was for 30 years, CalPERS had been getting an 8% return on their investments. And they were exceeding that. And so what they suggested to governments at state, county, and local levels is that cities were superfunded. At that point, uh, many cities made a decision like National City and said, okay, so that means if we enhance our benefit package, then the interest rate returns on the money that CalPERS has made for the last 30 years at 8%, which you believe is gonna continue for the foreseeable future, is gonna cover most of that cost. And that was the thinking in 2000, 2001, 2002, not just in National City, across many cities in California. So uh, then, you know, you know what happened in 2007, 8, 9, Great Recession, and all of a sudden, uh, there's some problems with that interest rate projection of 8%. So CalPERS uh, took to revisiting that. Uh, the bottom line is, is that was optimistic. Um, and so uh, cities then had to do a number of things uh, to kind of pay for their pensions that they had granted. And they didn't grant those um, prospectively, they were granted retroactively. So if you were working in 2002 or three or four, and you received uh, that 3% or that at 50 or 3% at 60 in National City, you were applied that to your prior years, not prospectively. So let's flash forward to Sausalito and, and the story in Sausalito. Same kind of story. Uh, if you look at what the city was paying in the early 2000s, it was about 300 and at the low end, $56,000. And over time, you can see in 2022, uh, what we're paying is close to three and three million and change. So, so therein lies the challenge. When that cost that the city is obligated to pay uh, grows that much, then it becomes a scenario where it squeezes out other things. So, so let's talk a little bit about the, the, the way that that occurred or beyond how it occurred. So once that decision was made, um, I think people saw that it was uh, not sustainable. And so different things happened. Uh, in the case of Sausalito, you set up a, a couple of early um, uh, pots of money to kind of help uh, the problem, which are called 115 trusts for your post-employment benefits and for your actual pensions which totals today about close to $5 million. So that was a very good step. 
you require the employees to pay for their share, which you should do and they do. And then the state came in with the Pension Reform Act in 2012-2013, which took back uh, a lot of the, um, uh, well, actually reduced the benefits uh, going forward for any new employees. But what you see in that chart is, in the lead up to it, those are what are called classic employees. So they are the ones that you're paying for and will pay for until, you know, uh, mortality kicks in and, and people are no longer uh, receiving the benefits. And that is, you know, a window of time that as you push it out uh, is going to require the city to continue to pay approximately $3 million a year until 2025, 2035, 2036. And then it starts dropping because the folks that retired in 2000, 2001, they are now 80, 90 and you know, older. And so they start to fall off the books. So what that means is the pension obligation in Sausalito has been something that has you know, um, been a challenge for councils from 2000 to 2010 to 2020 to today and will be a challenge in the future. And the reason there's such a challenge is when you take that $3 million that you're required to pay, there becomes uh, you know, less money in the budget for things that you want to do, whether it's projects, whether it's programs, whether it's personnel. So in Sausalito's case, our general fund budget is $21 million. And you take $3 million out of that to pay for your pensions, all of a sudden you got $18 million, not $21 million. So that is where uh, the rise starts to harm city budgets. And again, it's not just Sausalito, it's across the state of California. It's in certain counties and certainly the state of California. Uh, so one of the things that I wanna dispel is that you know, um, everybody that's in this program gets a six-figure pension. Uh, that is not accurate. Uh, a few years back when CalPERS did their analysis of what all of the pension receivers in California get, the average was $38,000. Okay. Some pensions are the only pension they have. There's not a Social Security component. Uh, and the other thing that's not well understood is how it's paid for. So. Uh, the employee pays, the employer pays, but the interest earnings that have led up to that 70% funded level, about 52% of that comes from interest earnings that CalPERS has gained. So uh, the problem is, is you know, the times have changed and that 8% has now been dropped to uh, from 8% to 7.5% to 7% is now at 6.8%. So. So they're saying uh, we're being more reasonable in our, our, our projected interest earnings. Uh, we're not seeing 8%, we're not seeing 7%. We probably aren't seeing 6.8%, but that's where they stuck it this past November. And so what that means is the cities and employees have to make up the difference and therein lies rising costs. So uh, that creates a challenge um, again for our, our budget, our services, and certainly our policymakers. So, so what I want to um, suggest is in June, when the budget was adopted, uh, there was a presentation made by Mr. Francis who suggested that it might be the right time to look at pension obligation bonds because of interest rates. And if you know the interest rate uh, scenario right now, uh, you know, six months ago, it was probably as low as it's been in the last 50 years or whatever. So it's presented opportunities for cities to rethink their 
obligations on the pension side to look at finance uh, tools and instruments uh, that could in fact, you know, create a predictable rate of payment, lower that rate of payment and therefore free up money for the uh, city's budget to do things that need to be done or to, you know, uh, meet the slowdown in economic activity that the pandemic has caused. So um, uh, again, the picture is worth a thousand words. Um, I think what I wanted to say is, uh, you know, we're not asking for you to issue uh, the, um, the green light for, uh, you know, refinancing our debt. Uh, we want you to let us go to the council tomorrow night and say, we want to create a team to look at refinancing tools. Uh, and if you think it makes sense to you, then in fact, you know, we should probably look to do that sooner than later. The second thing we're asking the council and yourselves to do as part of the council, but as the finance committee is, you know, we have um, had a study of our pension uh, a scenario by a group called Bartell and Associates, who is the gold standard of, you know, actuaries and looking at pensions in 2016. Uh, we need to retain them again. Uh, let them look at what we have in detail with the latest information and all the things that they do and know in terms of actuary studies uh, and then also opine on the idea of debt instruments as to whether or not they make sense and then you can make a decision so two things are being asked for tonight uh, one is you know agree to forward to the council the idea that we rfp request proposals for a finance and legal team to look at this and secondly we parallel that with a, a contract with mr bartell and his team to look at our whole scenario and opine as well on the idea of refinancing some pension debt. So uh, that concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Chris. Um, I have one quick question for you. Uh, so Bardell's and Associates has provided in the past some very helpful um, overview documents and analyses for us. I believe the last was in 2018. If a member of the public wanted to go and review that 2018 document, where would they find that? And we can right, let me let me rephrase it. Can we make that available um, <laughs> in advance of tomorrow night, as opposed to asking where it is? Um, yeah. I just think it's it, it illustrates the the breadth and scope of their work, and they really are, as you mentioned, the gold standard. Um, so I think that will help that conversation for folks to see what we've uh, obtained from them in the past. Yeah, yeah. In my conversation with Mr. Bartel, I thought he said 2016, but maybe it was 2018. But we'll, we'll find it wherever it is and see if we can get that out somewhere. So the public and, and the council can see that. Great, yeah. So I, I do have a bunch of questions, but um, I know that uh, Councilor Sobieski does as well. So we'll, we'll start there. Thanks, Mayor. Um, so uh, just echoing what I said for, uh, initially, um, as part of Bar I, the scope of work of uh, Bartlett's Bartels uh, contract, perfectly fine with it. I'm wondering if we could add or qualitatively request that they include a pedagogical section that really outlines um, what you would call pensions 101 uh, for the general public that really, um, and for us too, that really is associated with the document that they produce. Um, I think that it's an important feature to make the work product useful. Is that, a, is that doable? Yeah, yeah, yes, we can, we can make that request. Okay, so just a few questions. Um, just to confirm, you know, um, the this whole problem, the graph you show, is a consequence of fundamentally a difference between the expected rate of return 
that all the actuarial models are built upon and the actual rate of return from the CalPERS systems investments. Is that correct? Correct. So I think that's an important thing to highlight, that, that uh, explosive curve in the last four years uh, was not a result of some fiscal mismanagement on the part of Sausalito in particular, but is really straightforward, a straightforward consequence of investment of, the, of what we just talked about. Is that fair to say? It's a combination of that, uh, council member, and it's also a willful decision that was made by a city in concert with CalPERS system to go to an enhanced benefit package. You know, if you don't do that, you don't have this problem. And a couple of cities, and very few of them, uh, did not, uh, and were, you know, rewarded with, they don't have the same kinds of stresses on their budget that cities that, that accepted the, um, the idea that there was going to be, you know, returns at that level for the future. Uh, other states, and for example, Arizona, are not that aggressive in two ways. Number one, they're not that aggressive in their um, their uh, prediction of investment returns and the benefits themselves are not as generous. So when you combine, you know, the fact that you didn't make your returns, yeah, that's one big factor, but also the idea that, you know, um, folks made a decision and they made that decision 20 years ago. And so every year you can see the impact of that decision as the costs have grown. And at the same time, you can also see that decisions have been made in, in Sausalito that have taken that cost down, whether it's paying off side funds early, prepaying your annual payment, setting up your 115 trust, which doesn't show on this, but you know, if you take my arithmetic for it, that 29, $30 million number that we have uh, in the red, what that means to me is 70% of that is paid for, but that 29, $30 million number can be further offset by the idea that you have another two to three to $5 million in these 115 trusts. So you set up money exactly for that. So you don't really have a 70% funded ratio. You have a higher fundedness because people in Sausalito took some good steps and they should be proud of that. And then obviously the state took some steps as well to curtail the growth by instituting the Public Employee Pension Reform Act in 2013. Yeah. Okay. Just to confirm, then the 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 adoption of the enhanced benefits was done by Sausalito in what year? Two thousand and don't quote me on this. Two thousand and one, two in that vicinity. Yeah. So plus or minus a couple of years. This was a decision made more about twenty years ago that has consequences in the graph that you saw now. Correct. All right. Um, and then you've highlighted a few things that the city council over the last few years have, have done to. Uh, decrease the um, liability. Do we happen to have anywhere a, a projection from uh, when, when those decisions are being made, there was a likely a projection of future uh, pension liabilities. And I'm wondering if we have that graph to compare against uh, the actions from the last four years and our going forward projections today. We have access to any of that information? Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen uh, that uh, council member, but what I have seen is besides the discount rate or that 8% uh, change that they said is too aggressive and taking it down to 6.8, they've also done other things that have created um, uh, scenarios that change the numbers. Uh, one of them being is they used to amortize this out over 30 years. They shrunk it to 20 years. So that created a, a jump in city's payments. 
Um, you know, they looked at the system as the Great Recession happened and, you know, people started right-sizing organizations. And so you had less people paying into the system. So that's changed the requirements. And then you had scenarios where people actually live in longer. And so, you know, that's factored into the rates. They factor all that into their, their, um, their factor of how the city gets billed. But in terms of specific stuff that Sausalito has done or has in the last four years, um, I'd have to look for them. I'm not, I'm not aware of any right now. Yeah, it's just be interesting to know how good our own internal forecasting has been in terms of projections of our future pension liability, since we're relying to some degree on those forecasts. Yeah, well, I think I think you did that with Bartelt. I mean, that's what that's, uh, and I think we can do that again with Mr. Bartell and his team uh, to kind of see if we're tracking. You know, this is a number that is you know obviously six months old now, um, and like I said, it, it it could change based on a number of factors, but. But we can't absolutely figure out what the future looks like in a projected sense. I'm just telling you there are a lot of variables that go into trying to figure out if we can make that crystal ball clearer. You know, it's, it's it, making it a little bit clearer as possible, but, you know, crystal clear, I think, is, is something that we don't control. And then my last questions were around the, the reality that one, this is like the Hotel California. We can check in, but we can never leave. Once you're <laughs> in this Calpers system, uh the cost of exiting i think we calculated it um on the back of the napkin was exorbitant and we're stuck with it and once we're stuck with it they sort of set the rules they set the rate of return rate and they also set the employee contribution rates which is the other way you could try to affect the liabilities by changing the employer contribution rates but we don't have that freedom in a labor negotiation to meaningfully change the employee country contribution rates is that is that correct yeah, that, that that is correct the hotel california uh -huh. Yeah, no, um, yeah, they set the um, employer contributions and they obviously set the discount rate. And so they have been talking about taking the discount rate down from seven to 6.8 to 6.2, which is, I think is the real number, but they hadn't get the board support for it because I think that board understood the impact it would have on cities. If you took it down to 6.2, uh, the cost that you see on the the slide in front of you would, would increase as well. And cities have already been hit, you know, pretty hard uh, for the last couple of years with this. And uh, they're giving us projections all the time. But again, I, I keep telling you, uh, sometimes that board moves the goalposts. And when they change what they change, uh, we are the ones that have to deal with how we make the ends meet. Uh, the one thing you mentioned about, you know, us having no ability to change it, there was something that was tested uh, a few years back. It was called the California rule, which involves, you know, can the government, the state, the county or the city roll back these benefits? And the answer was the courts didn't take that up. It went all the way up and the courts left that intact. So yeah, we are pretty much where we are. So the real question is, what do we do? We, we, the, the board is set from the point of view of CalPERS, the contribution rate of the employees, the rate of return expected, and then we have reality, what the rate of return actually is. That, of course, is unknowable going into the future. If the rate of return skyrocketed, our problem could be solved. If it is as anemic as it has been for the last 20 years and below their rate, their target rate, uh, then we have a problem. And But we can't control any of those things. The one thing we can control is how much of our free cash flow do we take out of general fund for reserves or anywhere, and what do we do with it to and that's a risk reward question. That's money, whatever we did with it, 
would have um, that's money we spend on a bond or in some other scheme. Uh, and to what extent do we engage in that activity to try to reduce the risk of uh, this uncertainty around the pension obligation? Yes. Yeah, that's what we're talking about with the potential refinancing. Thank you for summarizing that. Thank you. That's all I have for now, Mayor. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Councilor Sebeski. Um, so, so Chris, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that comes to mind in bringing this to the full council is to be very clear about the mechanics of our pension debt um, and potentially what a pension obligation bond uh, will do. And one of the things that I think I, I picked up in your staff report, or maybe I think maybe needs a little bit more fleshing out, is that as Ian was just saying, Sasso's pension debt has accumulated as a result of CalPERS earning on pension assets, which is less than their target rate of return, right? We, we confirmed that. Um, and then we, we further confirmed that a key feature of the CalPERS pension plans is that the pension sponsors guarantee the pension assets will earn the target rate of return, Cor correct? No, they, they guarantee that the, the people that receive pensions will receive their pension amounts and that in turn creates the obligation so uh, a defined benefit plan uh, is the right term for it so once there's a defined benefit you're locked into that program uh, and so the cities have to make make that work and they do that uh, at times when the interest rates don't support the projected earnings and therefore the costs go up okay okay so so then I guess what I'm trying to get at is when CalPERS relies on their target rate of return, which is now 6.8%, what I wanna spell out for the council and the public is how we incur our pension debt, right? So, so my, my city council math was that Sausalito incurs pension debt, interest expenses of 6.8% times roughly $30 million or $2 million a year. Is that accurate? Here's what I'd like to do, you know, because I don't want to pass myself off as someone that is going to give you every answer to every question, but I think you want those answers. And I think that's where two things happen. One is, is Bartel comes in, answers that question, uh, because they are, as I said, the, the gold standard. The second thing is, is, you know, if in fact um, you're looking to take advantage and do this uh, refinancing, then, you know, you probably need to understand the mechanics of that as well. And so I'm not trying to answer all those questions in this meeting. I'm trying to set up the scenario where we can answer those by bringing in Martel and by bringing in a, uh, a team of folks that uh, do these things in terms of refinancings to give you information and options, et cetera, so that you can make a decision that you believe is in the interest of the organization and community. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. And, and I hate doing math on the fly, so sorry to ask you to do the same. Um, I guess what I, what I want to get at, though, is that everybody understands not just a graph and the graph looks scary, but why we're doing it. And one of the, the feedback that I get on, on pensions is uh, people don't really understand what the purpose is, right? And so I just want to make it really clear, and if I'm wrong, please tell me, but my understanding is that the purpose of refinancing an existing pension debt is not to reduce its size. Instead, the purpose is to reduce interest expense on that debt. And if Okay, and so I want to make sure that that's abundantly clear to the council and for members of the public for whom that is material and um, for whom that really makes sense. 
because yeah. I think it changes the conversation. Not everyone, you know, I don't expect you to bring everybody up to speed on what that means, but for those who, who do know what that means, I think that's very helpful to articulate that. Well, thanks for restating that. That's correct. Okay, great. Uh, and the one thing that, that I think is pretty clear, and I don't, I don't want to, to minimize this, uh, is, you know, when you pay for your pensions, uh, the city of Sausalito pays for its pension along with the employees, along with CalPERS, uh, what ends up happening is you shrink your ability to use your budget. And if in the old days it was, you know, pension payments from a city were four or five percent of your overall budget. Okay. But as they climb, and that's what we're showing you, they climb every year so that every year the size of your budget, even though it may be $21 million, is actually less because the pension payment is coming out on the front end of that. And so uh, you start growing from, you know, 5% of your budget going to pensions to 10% of your budget going to pensions to 15% of your budget going to pensions. And in some cases, you know, it could go higher. So we're trying to arrest that, lower yep. that. Okay? And, and that's a very clear articulation of what we're trying to do. And I just want to make sure that, that people understand that, that the, this, the proposal we're evaluating, uh, allocating funds to, is refinancing of existing debt at a reduced interest rate. And that's a manageable way to proceed. Yeah, yeah. so some people simplify it, oversimplify it by saying, it's like a mortgage on your house. You know, you bought it for X amount, interest rates were X amount higher. Now they're lower, so you refinance and you arbitrage that. Uh, so that that's essentially a, a better or a different explanation to kind of give it a, a layman term kind of flavor. Right. No, it's not not an exercise in interest rate arbitrage. I learned uh, last time. Okay, uh, so I'll pause there because I uh, we'll just pause. Let's see if there's any uh, members of the public who would like to uh, comment or ask questions. All right, City Clerk, uh, I do see one. Uh, City Clerk, will you please allow Sandra Bushmaker to join us? Hi again. I'm back. I just wanted to share with you, 20 years ago, we had tremendous pressure from the uh, labor unions to uh, do the enhanced benefit plan or the enhanced program. So I'll just tell you just from a little bit of history uh, that was definitely in, uh, in the mix uh, with regard to making that decision. And remember, we were just coming off of the dot-com boom also. So the economics back then were pretty different than they are now. So there was a go-go mentality uh, financially uh, at that time. Uh, I have a question for you that might be helpful to put in the staff report uh, for the public and for the, um, uh, for the city council is what happens to the $20 million, $29 million debt? What is the plan for that? Is there any plan, excuse me, is there any plan to arrest that, arrest that? Is there any plan to re retire that? And I think that should be described as well. And, and is the, are you referring uh, to Bartell, how we manage our $3 million a year payments? That's another question I had that could probably be addressed. Um, the other thing is with regard to the uh, pension obligation bonds, how, do we avoid the classic pitfalls that have been documented in a number of documents? I sent some articles to uh, to Janelle on this issue that that how do we structure these things? And I would like to know this, how we structure them 
to avoid the, the pitfalls and the, uh, the negative uh, aspects of pension obligation bonds. And then lastly, um, my ears perked up when I heard the defined benefit plan, because I dealt with that a lot in my law practice. Divorcing couples had frequently back, back then had a lot of uh, uh, employment benefits of which one of them was a defined benefit plan. And I know they have fallen out of disfavor. Is there any way that the city can renegotiate out of a defined benefit plan and some the answer is no i see chris <laughs> chris shaking his head no okay well that answers that question i just know that they are expensive because you're you're um you're committing to an amount and you're you're taking all the risk yourselves and and the employee doesn't take the risk uh once you quote that that number all right that's all i had thank you uh, mayor and council member if i can well thank you for that Question, but I, I go back to um, Google the California rule, and, and that'll tell you about uh, the court's position on changing benefits for public employees. Uh, that was a, a battle that Governor Brown raised uh, six, eight years ago and wound its way up, and, and the answer was negative. Well, I, I wasn't thinking so much of, of changing the benefit, but changing the structure of the benefit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, that's it. Thank you, Sandra. Appreciate it. Um, okay, so uh, Chris, I believe uh, with close public comment, I believe you're asking uh, for direction that uh, the finance committee supports the move to uh, assess the uh, pension obligation bond situation and then retain Bartles and Associates, correct? Correct. Okay, I am in favor of both of those things. Um, Councilor Sobieski. You know, I was just going to underline again something in Sandra's question there at the end. There is um, there's something that's worth attending to. And again, it goes to this idea of being quite pedagogical in our communication on the subject. I think it's hard for it was, it's it's hard for anyone coming up to speed on this to uh, to believe that the structure is the way it is because it's kind of a nightmare structure for all the municipalities that are have checked into this hotel. You can't get out. You can't exit the copper system without paying everything you owe plus interest. So it's an extraordinary fee to get out and the die is cast between benefits for employees and contributions that they make uh, and the rate of return that the actuarial models are built on. And as to your question, Mayor, when those models are wrong, it's not CalPERS, it's on the hook. The CalPERS board that has, I don't know, a dozen board members and uh, I think one of them is a representative of the municipalities, uh, sets all those rates and they get all the benefits if they're right and if they're wrong, there's cities the municipalities or the districts are on the hook for the tab. So that structure ought to be explained and skeptically inquired. So, you know, uh, to Sandra's question, um, you know, Chris answered it, but let's get it in writing. This can't be changed. The structure of the benefit can't be changed. The amount can't be changed. It is the law. And it's been, you know, adjudicated by the court in this way. So that's off the table. The percentage uh, employee contribution, that's off the table. The ROR from that copper sets, that's off the table. And when that's all off the table, the math is the math, and this is our liability. So with that explanation made, I think it goes a long way after people get over the shock, I think, of realizing we're on that, on this train, of realizing that it's really up to us about how they navigate. And, you know, pension obligation bonds will have their own kind of risk profile 
there are scenarios in a thousand Monte Carlo simulation where it's a bad move to do that. If a certain combination of rate of return on investments and interest rates probably means you would prefer not to have locked in an interest rate. Uh, but the vast majority of scenarios might lead you to a different, a different conclusion. So, but you can't evaluate that risk reward without having a clear uh, pedagogical explanation of the situation we're in and then tying a clear report to um, the options that we then have to choose among and uh, and then live with the consequences just like previous city councils have to live with the consequences of their choices so i would with that framework in mind uh, hope that our engagement with Bartles and others uh, would attend to those questions Okay, um, so I will take that also as a, a positive indication to the city manager for the two requests. And we look forward to hearing more uh, from the city manager at morning City Council meeting. It'll be, uh, this cleaned up a little bit, but same information. Uh, we'll try to flesh it out with some of the comments made today. Uh, and I think just an aside, I think the number on the CalPERS board is north of 20. So it's, it's quite a few, yeah. Okay, thank you. But it's only one one representative of municipalities and districts, right? The rest are appointed by by either employees or unions or, um, or various politicians at different levels, right? You know, what, I think they're elected, but I will do the research on that for you, council member. Great, thank you, Chris. Um, okay, well then we'll move on. Uh, thank you. That was a great conversation. I'm sure we'll repeat some of that tomorrow night. So uh, we will continue to refine our approach here. Uh, let's move on to measure, or pardon me, um, item E3, the measure O discussion, and our city manager again. Yeah. Um, thank you, uh, Mayor and Council Member and public. I, I am, I don't want to spend too much time on this because uh, I'm not quite ready to um, to give you all the detail that I don't have in front of me, but I'll just be general. Um, when I got here on June and the budget was adopted, uh, I believe it was June 22nd or so, in accordance with the law. Uh, one of the things that I saw in the budget uh, and one of my observations in Sausalito was it's an older community. Uh, it has some significant infrastructure needs. And uh, so when I heard about Measure O, I was, that was a very, very strong and positive move on part of that council, that staff and the community to, um, ask for infrastructure money so that some maintenance and some buildings and some things that need repairing could be repaired. Uh, so very pleased. And then I, I, I did a closer look at the budget and, and I saw that that amount of money coming in from measure O on a normal basis in a normal year after it got up and running after the election in 2015-16 or so, was about $1.2 million a year coming in that the city could apply to infrastructure. Uh, maintenance of, of things that um, cities are obligated for. And so that $1.2 million a year at times was supplemented by general fund money and certainly by capital improvement program money, other enterprise funds. And so the city was investing in its infrastructure. In the pandemic, in the adoption of the pandemic budget in, 2000 and in June of 2021, um, there was zero money applied to uh, the budget out of measure O. And I understood that the language was a 50% vote 
uh, that you know Measure O could in fact be used for any legal purpose. Uh, but you know, my thought was in reading some of the brochures and um, uh, communications to the public was the intent was to use uh, Measure O funds for infrastructure, and the city had been doing that. And then in this last budget year, which is the current year we're in, uh, there was no money allocated. When in the prior years it had been about 1.2, and supplementation by uh, the general fund of uh, Measure O and infrastructure to the tune of another 1.2 million dollars that the city and in, in prudent a prudent way put into the budget but this year was zero and so what i've asked our finance team to do is to look at our reserves our reserve policy and you know the city has done a great job of saving money for emergencies whether it's a pandemic or other things um, and you have a policy that says you know we have to have a, a reserve or a savings account for emergencies of at least 15 percent of our general fund that year so if your general fund is you know, uh, 20, $21 million, you have to have 15% of that set aside. Uh, so the last time I checked uh, about three months ago, uh, we were uh, upwards of around 30% in uh, our reserve in terms of savings to the tune of about six and a half million, seven million dollars. Uh, and so uh, my thoughts were, while you have $7 million in the bank and you're meeting your reserve and exceeding your reserve policy, you know, why would you not spend some of that money on one-time needs that exist today? Why would you not backfill uh, that uh, Measure O money uh, with your reserve because you have more than your 15% and you can meet some pressing needs in your streets today? Uh, so uh, my thinking was is to bring this forward to the Finance Committee to have a conversation around what you all think and see, but with the idea of being, uh, let's look at what we have in our reserves and. Vivian and Chad can provide that, and I think it's, it's today it's about $7 million. Um, and if you took, you know, a million dollars out of that and applied it to infrastructure, in particular roads, uh, you know, you take that down by that amount, uh, correct, make a major budget adjustment, correct it, and then you could tell the community you honored Measure O and you met a pressing need. Uh, so. Um, the idea of putting a zero in there was, you know, not what I would have done. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity right now to correct that. There certainly is a need uh, across the city in terms of our pavement. Our, our pavement in Sausalito, if you recall, uh, when we did this conversation earlier in my time here, uh, I was told that our pavement management index was in the 60s. And so for the layman, you know, 90s is an A. You know, the 80s is a B grade, 70% is a C grade, and 60% or plus is a D grade. You know, lower than that is failing. So we're close to failing. And, and I don't think that's a shocker to people that drive in Sausalito or ride bikes in Sausalito or walk in Sausalito, but our pavement certainly needs some, some, some work. And I would argue that, you know, if you took that money out of your reserve and you applied it to that type of a program, you would save money in the long run because the longer you wait to fix your roads, uh, your sidewalks, uh, it's only going to cost you more. So that would offset any interest earnings that you think you might get by holding that money in there for another day. And certainly I would advocate it for one-time use, not ongoing uh, types of programs or projects. So the thinking again is, you know, replenish that measure O item in the budget, uh, take it out of your reserves, um, be comfortable with what it does to 
the amount you feel you need to save or have saved for uh, a rainy day or an emergency, and then tell the community that's what you did. Chris, are you um, are you recommending a fixed percentage be uh, used for a capital improvement program such that we can hold ourselves accountable to that percentage on an annual basis? No, no, I wouldn't call it a fixed percentage. I think, uh, Mayor, it's more like the historical amount that you get on that district tax um, uh, add-on has been about $1.2 million. So whatever that number is, that's where I would start, not on a percentage basis for this particular exercise. And in the future, you know, I would hold to the idea that you need to make sure that you don't have a zero um, going forward. As you know, this measure expires in 2024. And I think if you can show the community that you took that money, you applied it to infrastructure, you added general fund money and years to that challenge, and then you corrected this situation and then kept it the same going forward so that it went to what I believe is a needed use uh, leading up to 2024, you could hold your heads up and say, we did what we said we would do. Uh, to have the zero, I think can be explained uh, given the pandemic uh, given the city's budget challenges, but to have that zero and to have $7 million sitting in the savings account, to me is um, not what I would recommend in terms of how you use those funds uh, for needs in the community. So Chris, yeah, I don't um, I don't challenge or dispute or different perspective on the use of the funds. Um, I'm wondering though, from a poly policy perspective, do we need to change our municipal code or other directives? So, Section 3.06.180 on use of proceeds says that the proceeds from the transactions and use tax imposed by this ordinance, Measure O, shall be for general governmental purposes of the city and shall be received into the general fund of the city. Nothing herein shall bind the city to use the proceeds for any specific purpose or function. And I understand that there was, was material around that during the uh, ballot measure that indicated it would be used for capital improvement program but our implementing ordinance does not, uh, is not consistent with that. And so is there some policy um, directive around that? Yeah, oh, no, no, and that's, I, no, and that's wonderful. You know, you know, a lot of folks that um, are involved in city government and elections uh, really don't, don't delve into the details, but anytime you tax for a specific purpose in California, then it has to meet a two thirds threshold and in terms of local government. So if you just said, we're gonna use that money for um, roads and sidewalks uh, specifically, and you put that, then you would have had to get 66.7% of the vote. But you know, a lot of cities have said, well, you know what, uh, we're gonna do that. So we'll, we'll go the general route, which is we won't specify, and that's the language you just read. And so we can actually do with it whatever we wanna do, and you have to trust us. So the city has done nothing wrong legally. I, you know, I, I, so I think from the standpoint of trying to, to do that, I think where you make headway is when you adopt a budget. And so that's your policy statement. That's when you say in the budget, we're going to set aside the district tax proceeds, uh, all of it, a portion of it, but never none of it uh, to um, infrastructure. Uh, so, um, that's to me the ultimate fix that comes to you every year when you adopt the budget so uh, going forward this year you know you can bet that you know recommendation I will make will be that you take the proceeds from that district tax even if you could spend them somewhere else 
and spend them on roads. Uh, but I'm asking earlier that you correct the zero from last year, uh, put it into the budget this year so that we can have a more robust paving program and get our, our infrastructure, our, our roads and so forth better for pedestrians, bicyclists and cars uh, and just improve the overall uh, uh, transportation system in Sausalito. And Chris, I see that on Vivian's schedule, uh, this is on the calendar for the 15th at our council meeting. What can we expect to see in the staff report from you? You'll see the amount of money in your reserve and what level it's at. Uh, you'll see an amount that we would recommend being transferred into um, infrastructure. Uh, there, you know, and talking to Councilmember Sobieski at times, there can be a specific, you know, resolution saying, this is why we're doing this. Uh, so the public understands that. And then you put, you know, $1.2 million of your savings account into uh, the use of uh, the um, public works department to enhance our roads. And, and let me just say this, uh, you know, talking to Kevin McGowan, you know, I've asked them, you know, where would you uh, want to use uh, an infusion of dollars to help our infrastructure? And he said roads, and I don't disagree with him. And so, uh, as you know, uh, if you said there's $1.2 million that we think we can take out of our savings account, put into a streets program, uh, you know, there's obviously not a million two that goes into asphalt. There's money that goes into, you know, the whole design, the whole engineering, the whole contracting and all of that. So a good portion of it would go to actual asphalt and, you know, in accordance with the pavement program that you have now and see if you can get your index up and make some people happy here in Sausalito. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Ian. Are you, are you done, Mayor? Yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, so Chris, I might, I think, you know, the city has no, um, it has its most fundamental obligations. The purpose of its existence is to provide public safety and to manage the public infrastructure. Uh, the city has many other priorities, but those I believe are at the top of the heap. And, uh, and they should deserve appropriate amounts of attention. Um, I think the idea that, uh, as you pointed out, there's a zero line item for measure of expenditures in a particular year is problematic and we should uh, rectify that. Uh, we should have a consistent spend against our infrastructure needs in town. So I'm generally supportive of that direction. Um, I also think the PMI, uh, when I learned as a candidate what our PMI was from Kevin McGowan, I was shocked at how poor it is. Uh, it seems like a, an obvious place to devote some resources. Um, I would, and I also think DPW is being asked to do a lot of things here in town from the um, North, Street, North Street steps to looking at the quality of the boat ramp. Uh, that's the only access point for a small craft into the, into the Richardson Bay. Uh, to our PMI, to a million other things. Uh, and so they deserve more resources. Um, I would uh, ask the open-ended question that you don't need to answer now, but whether it would be appropriate to not just look at the, the um, CIP list, <coughs> but also to consider the whole idea of maintenance as a category in and of itself. Um, I'm concerned about spending money on improvements and then not having to follow through to uh, maintain those improvements. Some of our, there's various examples around town that don't need to be delineated here, but where uh, there's a perception that um, 
money is spent, the you know the the, the fancy new window is installed, but then nobody comes by to to deal with um, to ma with maintaining it as well as it should be. And I'm wondering if we could consider an active maintenance uh, program, enhancing it, enhancing enhancing the maintenance we do in some sort of measurable way, much like PMI is a measurable thing, uh, to preserve the gains we get from capital expenditures. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good uh, thread of thought, uh, council member. Uh, you know, I'm going to make sure I review it with um, our public works director, who I have a lot of confidence in, and who has a better sense of you know where the needs are and what the amounts might be, et cetera. So, thank you for that input. Uh, I'll take that forward and talk to Mr. McGowan about that. Thank you. Chris, so do you need uh, anything from? Oh, pardon me. Sorry, let me take a uh, public comment on this. Let's see if we have any. Okay, oh, Sandra Bushmaker. City clerk will. I'm coming as soon as I get the video off to work here. Okay, this is you cannot start your video. Okay, share my video. There I go. I am delighted to hear about a maintenance program. Um, this has been one of my pet peeves. In fact, when, when I ran for council, infrastructure and maintenance of the infrastructure was one of my main platforms. And although it's not very exciting, uh, it's, it's one of the essential ingredients for a successful city, in my opinion. So I would highly support the development of a routine uh, maintenance program, which I recognize will probably entail hiring additional employees to perform that maintenance program. But I think it's really important because, uh, let me give you just a little example. Um, 20 years ago, we redid Southview Park. And here we're redoing Southview Park again under Measure F. So. I, I can't say whether it was a lack of maintenance that required the redo of the redo, but uh, it, it bespeaks to the issue of the need for maintenance. So I would highly support that and I'd speak to the council in support of such a program if when it comes before the council. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra, I appreciate that insight and perspective. Okay, um, any further questions for, for Chris or Seth? Okay, so Chris, that was just uh, informational, right? And this something. Yeah, if I can close, uh, Mayor and Council Member, I really want to thank you both. Uh, one of the things that we talked about on October 30th was to, to try to make sure we took care of the basic <clears throat> things in our city, like infrastructure, like finances, and uh, the bandwidth to do so. And so, you know, one of the things that we asked that we could commit to, and you've honored it is that in January, we have the pension conversation. In February, we have the infrastructure conversation. And in March, we talk about, you know, bandwidth of the organization in terms of all the boards, commissions, committees, task forces we have. So we're tracking. Uh, so thank you for your support on that. Thank you for your leadership. I know we all appreciate it and definitely want to focus on infrastructure in 2022. Okay, we'll, we'll move on to our, uh, our last agenda item. I believe that is our budget calendar review, item E4, uh, with Vivian Chu, our finance director. Welcome, Vivian.
Maybe the city clerk can take Vivian off mute. Oh, here we go. Can you see my screen? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, so most of these items here, we kind of, um, Chris kind of mentioned. Um, so in general, we're going to do the pension discussion like um, you already talked about it. And on, in February, we're going to do audits. And um, so we have planned for the finance department to do you know, all the way to June 28 here. And we put all these items here. So if you have any question on this item, let me know. Um, and also this is subject to revision in case we can not meet all this day here, we put on here. Um, anyone has any question on this budget calendar? Yeah, Vivian, thank you for, for this. This is helpful. Um, so one thing that I'm looking for here, so we, we would normally, receive quarterly budget updates and that would be um, a treasurer's report uh, a budget report and then often um, a report from hdl i yeah. guess so so i'm wondering where that sits in this calendar and then i guess it raises a separate question of where are we uh on retaining a treasurer because the finance director and the treasurer should be two separate individuals um, is that going to be Ide Bailey for now? Uh, I, I'm not sure if I am also doing the treasury part of it. I'm not sure, Chris, can you clarify that? Yeah, yeah I, I'd like, thank you, uh, Vivian. Um, Mayor and council member, if, if I can talk um, to you a little bit more about the idea of separation of the two and what you're trying to achieve. Uh, I get the, the general list of it, but I want to get some more specific and uh, drill down on it if I can with you. Would that be possible uh, before the next meeting and then we can have this conversation? Absolutely, yeah. I And I'll just refer you, of course, as we've spoken about before to the municipal code that, that does have the treasurer reporting to the council and the finance director reporting to the city manager as a means of checks and balances. Yeah. So who was the treasurer before I got here? Well, um, unfortunately, it was a combined role with our prior finance director. Which and is uh, part of my um, suggestion yeah. that we we do things slightly differently. So, was there an actual separate treasurer before that? I think at one time it might have been Ide Bailey. I believe they do offer. And I don't don't quote me on that, but I, I believe they do offer treasury services. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I will. Um, yeah, let's talk about this because I need to be clear on exactly uh, what we should be doing and need to do, but. Uh, my experience has been, you know, sometimes treasurers are elected uh, and sometimes, you know, you have a separate budget account or a department from the finance department and someone else acts as treasurer to have that separation. But I'm not sure what the history and model here in Sausalito is. So I'd like to do some, some due diligence with you and get to a better place if I can in the future. Sure. I'll only request that you look at the municipal code. Um, as much as you look at past practice. Um, <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the, mayor's, um, the mayor's asked what she's looking for, uh, which I feel like there's a step towards some checks and balances, which is, doesn't have to be uh, you know, super draconian, but just literally having a different person um, doing the doing a report uh, from a different perspective uh, can be a valuable check and balance, just like searching out the auditor periodically can be an important 
check and balance. Yep, understood. And that aside, um, the, the context, and thank you for that, Ian, aside, um, so the thing about the treasurer's uh, report is that I've always thought it would be helpful to include the interest earned on each investment. And uh, historically, or at least since I've been here so a year, there was a six month lag. And uh, I always uh, hope to have the treasurer's report each quarter delivered within two weeks at the end of the, the quarter. Uh, and so if we could work that into our budget calendar, I think that would be quite helpful. Okay. Just in terms of comments on the budget calendar, not that they can be inserted yet because there's still a little bit of open issues that I know have to be worked out, but this idea of having the potential mid-year audit report in there, having the pension bond discussion, I don't see actually formalized on here aside from today on this list um, should be in there somewhere, and the, or maybe should be in there somewhere. And then the idea of having um, not just CIP, or, but really starting to call out the idea of CIP also including a some sort of way of amortizing a maintenance expense as a CIP expense, um, really to try to put that category on the table as something that deserves um, thought when you're thinking of capital expenditures. And, and the other thought that, that comes to mind, I don't know if this gets budgeted individually, but I, I feel like we should be revisiting our reserve policy um, as things are in flux uh, for us. And again, um, that is uh, the treasurer's uh, role uh, on our cash reserve. So be interesting to know how that fits into our our calendar and I, Chris I can't recall I, I feel like you and I had a conversation about revisiting maybe it was just looking at our, our budget on some more agile basis and not the reserve specifically but I, I have gotten the sense in the past that Councilmember Sobieski and I were both uh, pro uh, more frequent updates than not so we could have a, a sense of the cadence and the trends yeah, we've, we've had that conversation, so we will try to do better. Uh, one of the things I want to um, to point out is you've had quite a bit of change in your finance department over the last six months. And so trying to get our um, sea legs down and then work on some of these things that are necessary and more um, creating more transparency and reporting to the council and the community and the organization is something uh, we will strive for. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, we don't bite off more than we can actually do, but we have to adopt the budget. Um, we certainly, you know, want to provide the reporting. Uh, I'm going to try to understand and work with you on the idea of how the treasurer and the, 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 the definition that requires that uh, makes sense to Sausalito for me to understand. But um, I uh, have no problem uh, making sure we ramp up our reporting uh, we need to do that. I, I just ask for your patience. Thank you. Okay. I don't have any other uh, questions. I will open it up to public comment and we'll bring it back up. So I'll just ask the city clerk to see if there's anybody with public comment. Okay. I'm not seeing any hands raised, so we'll close public comment. Um, I, I, you know, we already gave some comments here. Anything else to add, Councilor Sobieski? No, I don't. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you um, to the city manager and opinion. And again, are you going to are you going to sign off, Mayor? Is that what I heard you doing? Sign off? No. Uh, we'll just.
closing public comment and moving on to future agenda items. Great, thank you. Um, okay, so uh, item F is future agenda items. We have three, the business license tax review, measure F review, HDL update. Um, let me see if Councilmember Sobieski has any to add to this list. Um, no, I'm just wondering the, uh, how we should think about what future agenda items are in terms of five priorities, because we have this pension issue, which is so dramatically important. Do we want to have that again as a future agenda item, or is it implied that it's going to be there because it's sort of current working work product, um, or is it now going to be in the hands of the okay. Maybe maybe what the cadence is um, after we get some approval or report from either the council or uh, like Bartels, right? So we don't like if we met again and we hadn't we didn't have a report and we didn't have action from the council, we wouldn't have much to talk about that we didn't talk about today. So perhaps the direction is every time there is an action taken on on pensions at the very next uh, finance committee meeting, we include uh, pensions as a as an agenda item. Okay, um, just, uh, okay, fair, fair enough. I, I guess I did have some questions about the scope of some of these reviews on Measure F and on the business license tax. What are we, is this a general informational uh, presentation from staff that we're looking for? Are we looking for them to drill down into particular questions about these uh, efforts? Great, what yeah. What both you and I and the, and the public expect from, from these topics being on our agenda? So um, business license tax review, as you will recall from your time on EDAC, uh, has been thoroughly analyzed by some uh, folks in town who have made several requests for us to review that in depth. And we have not yet had the opportunity to, due to the turnover on uh, in finance. And so with a new finance director uh, and those repeated requests, it made onto our agenda to review that based on our current understanding of the, of the regime and how that compares to other communities. So I think it would be an analysis, um, even for nothing else to understand what monies we have collected and how that's been distributed within our community. So that would be my understanding of the business license tax review. And certainly if you have other questions, we can ask staff to, to cover that. Yeah, I only asked about that one since, since we're setting the scope for the topic to be on the agenda. I only um, concern, not concerned, but guidance would be that I know that there is some vociferous opposition to the way BLT uh, as structured and voted on by the people was passed. Um, and that's fine. But, and that I think it's fair to use that structure to um, examine, to, to pose questions to uh, our finance department and get answers. But it would be helpful to broaden, broaden the scope of the inquiry beyond that, just as you indicated there, to really talk about how much money we get from this tax how that compares to before uh, the previous regime when we had something like 22 different categories. Um, how uh, how good are we actually at, at uh, collecting this tax? How do we find out who has a business in town? If, um, if for instance, you start an LLC and you have an address in Sausalito, uh, how do we require self-reporting uh, to find out if, um, if you're paying your business license or, or is there some enforcement regime that uh, discovers that there's a, a, a new company in town doing business um, from a, from an address. So I'd love to have the review really be broad-based um, rather than strictly narrowly focused on some of the uh, uh, issues that were brought up by opponents of the business license tax. So if that could be the, the remit to staff, then, then that would be my ask for it. 
I, I think I, I mostly agree, although I might um, table the the enforcement review of it until we have our, our hands around what it is, um, because I don't want to hold up the analysis and the understanding of the actual financial financial implications of it um, because we haven't figured out exactly an answer to the enforcement piece. So if you, you wouldn't mind uh, starting off just really understanding what what is the what are the trends how does it compare what have we collected um and part of that reason too is um councilor Sobeski, you had made the suggestion that we delay um collection um when we first took office and we we voted for it but it would have i think benefit all of us to have had some long, longer term trends around that and some more numbers of, of the impact under different scenarios and so i'd like to understand some of the basics behind it as well. Sure. Um, okay, great, that was a great insight and I'm sure staff will have questions for us. Uh, the other one on uh, measure F, uh, this of course is the uh, certificates of participation that uh, were issued to um, uh, support the refurbishment, reinvigoration of our parks. And so what um, former Mayor Hoffman and I have been asking for for a while and what we drafted up uh, loosely could be called a pro forma is an outline of all the spend to date the different sources of that spend the projected the actual and the remaining so we have a sense when we for example might get um, an email about a park that people would like to have completed we know where we stand uh, on that from budget perspective yeah and i would love to second that and applaud you and uh and uh for Hoffman for um, for setting up a structure like that. It'd be great for anyone to have a again a common a common set of facts about what the reality is around that expenditure. So I look forward to seeing that. And then the last one on HDL can go in a lot of different ways. Um, but uh, I can't remember it wasn't Chad, but it was someone from HDL Adam? I don't recall um but very um very agile with the with the data. And so there's a lot of questions whether it's EDAC or uh, the council uh, who want to understand the different sales tax contributions, both by um, by business type as well as by geolocation, and some of the long-term trends and how inflation might impact that, or how maybe macroeconomic events have impacted that, uh, so we can start forecasting some of our you know, future budget concerns and potential overages or deficits. Um, so these numbers are really interesting, and the reports are good, but they don't have trends. And so uh, we've been talking last year about really maximizing the data and being able to use it for some lessons learned as well as some forecasts. So on that, Mayor, the only addition I would have to see what your reaction is. Um, for a while I've been asking, uh, but it's been an item I haven't on the ground about how granular we're allowed to get that data. Uh, I've been told that because of privacy rules, there's a limit to how granular it can be. And yet that often leads to the uh, conflation of very different kinds of businesses uh, where it gets very hard to get, to make anything meaningful out of the data that we get. And I would love to, if, if you agree, to try to ask our city attorney or it to be a project to actually maybe look at other municipalities and see if there is any, uh, how granular can our data set be? Or, or can, in session, uh, city council members perhaps actually look at granular data just to help uh, edify themselves. Or in public session, if what's the what's the limit 
for the most granular information that we can get. I personally would, would love that. Um, and I know we've had this back and forth with the former finance director and the city attorney, but to, to maybe, if the answer as we've asked the question is no, maybe we can um, have some help asking a different question so that we can get some ancillary data that is uh, just as, if not more helpful. So I fully support that. Um, HDL also has more data, I think, than we're necessarily aware of. I was in one of our wonderful stores uh, downtown over the weekend who conveyed to me that, you know, they can do everything from pay someone's parking uh, online um, in a platform that they have. Someone just calls them up and says, I'm in spot 139, and they plug it in, pay online for them, to um, be able to track, uh, you know, are they from out of town, how much did they spend? And so if we can either voluntarily or through HDL get some information about where the spend is coming from as well, I think that would be very helpful. Uh, as we work on economic development initiatives. Yeah, um, uh, Mayor and uh, council member, uh, when we get HDL in a room to talk about where we are in terms of our sales tax and district tax and property tax, um, you can let them present to you uh, the legality around uh, information that they can release. Uh, I think that's the, the place to do it. I don't think you need the city attorney or staff to do it. They can do that for you because it's pretty uniform across the state. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times getting around that information by aggregating, uh, putting stuff in alphabetical order, uh, you know, there's information that I've seen shared in different communities where you can say in a certain area of town, this much sales tax is generated. You can't tell what business is generated, specifically what. You know, in Sausalito's case, you have four hotels. So if you see the TOT uh, take on, you can kind of figure out, well, one, two, three, four, you know, those four hotels you know, split it up four ways or by room, you can kind of get a sense of it, but to give you specifically um, the data for uh, businesses, I think we all know that we can't do that. Uh, that's, that's not allowable, but we can look at, you know, aggregating um, information so that you have some sense. And we certainly should have, we have trending information, historical information, HDL provides all that. Right, um, but I'll just say something like listing out the top 25, um, is actually meaningless unless you have numbers because you have no idea what the delta is between all of them. Um, and so not that anybody wants to watch a video, but I think it was August 17th of last year, uh, HCL, Joe couldn't make the meeting, so it was me and HCL, and we had a really great conversation about all the things that they could probably offer us. Um, and one of the things we looked at as well was like TOT, but then overlaying TOT with sales tax. So we could see, you know, are people actually spending more money in our town when uh, we're collecting more TOT, and what are some other things that are, are related from data points? Yeah. Okay. Um, Councilor Sobieski, anything you want to, and does have to be for next time, anything you want to just throw out there that we should consider for future? Uh, no, I, I'm going to, I think uh, this plate is full, just with, <laughs> with the pension uh, thing, which you really want to run the ground and run the ground well, this idea of pulling money. Uh, uh, out of our um, excess reserves to uh, spend on infrastructure and how to do that. Uh, the budget calendar that, uh, the, the excellent budget calendar that Vivian pulled together is a lot to pay attention to. So I'd love to stay focused on our top priorities. Um, I don't disagree, but I will list, rattle off a handful of other things that we should not forget to uh, look at uh, as maybe data is being collected or Bartles is working on something. 
Um, and those include, but are not limited to, uh, uh, analysis of our parking program and ways to uh, maximize uh, and maybe rejigger some of our, um, our costs and our, our revenue around that. Um, grant monies should come at some point when we understand, you know, when we have a new grant writer and we can start um, identifying or at least getting an update on that. Um, I urge us to look at the geo bonds. My understanding is that uh, at least one tranche is coming due and there's going to be an increase in the interest rate. Uh, I can't rattle that off for you in the moment, but I could find it. So we should take a look at our geo bonds and um, understand what's happening there. Uh, one of the speakers, uh, Sandra, made a, a comment about the housing element. Um, that's an interesting comment in the financial impact. Uh, and that's more of a thought exercise, but what does it cost to expand infrastructure? And once you put in infrastructure, what does it cost to maintain it? And how do you amortize that? And how do you plan for that? And uh, should that be a part of our thinking uh, as we look at different locations for housing? Um, so that's, those are my, my main ones that, that I'm curious about. Yeah, well, I, and I'll certainly be interested. I know that we are on the cusp if we haven't already hired three different grant uh, writers that Chris Apata has helped uh, orchestrate. So uh, to me, the, you know, I'd love to get an update about that and what the ambitions are. So I agree with that. And the parking has been something I've been on since for a year. So uh, for sure, let's, if we want to take that on as a task, I know that uh, we have a parking professional and EDAC has been looking at that as well. But uh, there is no doubt in my mind that we are not running our parking as um, profitably or as well in the service of our qualitative goals to be community serving as we could. So I emphatically uh, would be supported and be interested in engaging with that in a definitive way. Right. Well then, I think uh, we will take public comment on uh, our discussion um, around future agenda items. Do we have anybody like to make a comment? Okay, I don't see any hands, so we'll close public comment on that. And I do believe that we are at adjournment. This is the- Sandra oh. did raise your hand from there. All right, Sandra, please, by all means. Let's see a quick wall assist, there we go. I, this, is, this has been actually a very good meeting for me too, to be able to participate as if we were sitting around the table. So I've quite enjoyed this, so thank you. Uh, with regard to the BLT, uh, Ian mentioned that there about the public outcry on the current structure that was voted on Measure M, I do believe it was. Uh, I think that needs to be addressed. I know that Wendy Richards has approached EDAC, has approached the council, has approached the finance committee, individuals, and I think we need to have some discussion about the structure of that and how it's impacting uh, various businesses, maybe not in the most egalitarian measure way that that it could be. So um, I, I think that is worth discussion. Thank you. Thank Sandra. you. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. This is the time where we thank staff for their hard work. And uh, Chris, we look forward to your pension uh, review tomorrow. Night. But thank you, Vivian, Chad, and Chris. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you, all three. Thanks, Mayor. We'll, we'll adjourn. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Bye. Bye, you guys. Thanks.